Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Runswell Podcast with me, Rick Pearson. Me, Ben Hobson. And me, Jane Maguire. Today we're talking about running in China with James Paul. Awesome. Uh, some exciting news from the sprint world for you. Uh, Usain Bolt became a father of two twins. Um, the greatest names. They've got the greatest names. You surely it would just be father of twins. Two twins would be four. <laughs> That's true, actually. Just father of twins. That's yeah. true, actually. <laughs> imagine oh imagine, God, four, imagine bolts. four babies. Just incredible. <laughs> That's like a relay. That's potentially a relay team. It's a relay That's team. a relay. That's so quick. Oh, my God. Um, Straight away. <laughs> listen to these names Saint Leo Bolt, which is, which is good. I'm, I'm into that. But, but better still, Thunderbolt. Oh, Thunderbolt. What a name. It's an amazing name. I actually think it's I think it's genuinely unfair on Saint Leo that his brother is called Thunder. Is there another bolt though? Is there another a better bolt? I think uh, yeah, I think yeah. he's got another another uh, older child as no, well. No, I mean I mean as in instead of Saint Leo, is there like Thunderbolt, Lightning, Lightning Bolt? Lightning would have been good. Lightning would have been good. Saint Leo is still nice though if Usain is listening to this. I don't want to slag off his kid's name. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Congratulations on your children. Um, both great names. I've, I've, I've immediately assumed Thunder is a boy. I think Thunder's a boy. I have no idea. Right, fine. Um, good. Uh, yeah, amazing names. Congratulations to, to, the, yeah. to the Bolts. Uh, there you go, twins. How much do you think people would expect those children to be athletes? Yeah, a lot of pressure. You know what I mean? I think it's a bit like, you might be well advised not to be. It's a bit, because it's a bit like, you know, being John Lennon's son and, and being a musician, it's it's, it's, a, a, it's a big act to follow, isn't it? But imagine doing PE and being called Thunderbolt. You've got <coughs> you've got to be quick, or you're you've got an advantage. You've got maybe yeah that, yeah um, yeah. Part of me thinks not not going into the family business it might be the the best move because you're going to do well to be quicker than dad, aren't you? Really, he could be a drummer. Yeah, that's good. It's, it's, it's a good name for lots of things. Journalism. Weatherman. <laughs> Yes. Come on, Thunderbolt. <laughs> Thunderbolt with this news exclusive. That's it's, it's great. Yeah, um, it's true. Oh, yeah, some other good news. Uh, the Black Trail Runners, who've been on uh, the podcast previously, they took on the Ramsey Round in Scotland uh, last week. Uh, so anyone who doesn't know the Ramsey Round, it's basically Scotland's answer to the Bob Graham. But it was of particular interest to Black Trail Runners because the founder, Charlie Ramsey, is a black man, which actually a lot of people don't, realize i think he's actually sort of assumed that he's a kind of uh kind of white uh scottish man but uh no he's a he's a black man and that was a kind of big reason why they wanted to uh kind of kind of honor 
him and what he'd done. And they went up uh, last week and, and took took on some of the the gnarlier parts of uh, of the route, including Ben Nevis. Including Ben Nevis, yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. Well, congratulations to them. Yeah, congratulations to them. And uh, yeah, I spoke with um, one of the members, Zuki, and he said that he uh, yeah he spoke with an older hi- white hiker who was curious about what um, they were doing. I told him about Black Trail Runners and how we're trying to open up the uh, access to the trails. It was well received. It was a really positive exchange, but we need to keep coming back to these places to keep showing up until it becomes normal. So I think that's very much a sort of raison d'etre to sort of make uh, coming to the trails something that people of all ethnicities and backgrounds do, which is, um, of course, the right thing. Yeah, 100%. Jane, what have you been, what have you been doing running-wise? Um, well, a, a lot of... A lot of um running well I was running in the heat and I was like I love this this is my this is my time I love running in the summer and then I went out to do my 10 mile run on Friday because I'm moving house it's all horribly stressful and what was that torrential rain I gave up at eight miles and went into Asda I just was like what the hell just stood there seeking refuge in Asda, <laughs> Literally. Asda I went into the big Asda and walked around because I was like I just well is there a small Asda has anyone ever found one um yeah went into Asda and just walked around because I was like I was and then I was so angry at myself for the rest of the day that I didn't just because I was already drenched but I went out wearing like a like shorts and a vest top and I was freezing, which is why I had to wait See, in Asda for. It's not. It's not just the mountains that we'll talk about with James later. It's knowing the knowing the weather conditions for even a local ten mile race. If you don't yeah. get it right with your kit, you're in Asda. <laughs> you're in Asda. You're in Asda. <laughs> Suddenly you're in Asda. <laughs> so yeah, that was my um, running fail of the week, and I don't know if I'm going to have a chance to do a long run and make up for it this week, but. I will. I will make up for that and I will be more prepared and always carry a rain jacket and a down jacket and an umbrella. <laughs> Perfect. It's a good combo. And you've been, uh, been racing again? No. You got, the, you got the bit between your teeth? No, I've, I've been doing the opposite <laughs> and I've been um, procrastinating and delaying runs on a daily basis to the point of an expertise, I would say now. Oh, I'll go later. Oh, <laughs> oh no, I've got to do that first. Oh, I've just eaten lunch gotta give it a couple of hours before i go oh it's a bit late now the kids are the kids are around i'll do it when the kids are gone to bed god i'm tired now the kids are asleep i'll do it tomorrow oh oh no it's raining now i'm not gonna go out today <laughs> i have been doing that for about 10 days i reckon no not that long but for the week so and i'm gonna say it now after this podcast is finished i'm gonna go for a run and i probably won't so that's been my running <laughs> at the moment <laughs> what about you oh, that's good uh yeah i went for a run on uh went for a run on saturday morning uh, me and my, my good mate George Ball and uh, we we went for like yeah, about an hour and a half which I'm starting to think is that's the ideal amount of time for a long run 90 minutes yeah perfect you don't really need to carry much for that it's it's nice you're still put, you know putting in a decent amount of time but you're not like exhausted at the end and also importantly ended up at a bakery which I think is a nice way to, that makes a run better just bakery's about a mile away then just walk back home with a with a croissant nice yeah. Is that so a plain croissant, though, mate? A plain croissant, Ben. Don't, don't you don't no, need no. anything on a croissant. It's like Look, it's like a pizza. People think more things on a pizza is better. It's not. I'm not saying it, but a delicious, <laughs> a delicious all butter croissant, absolutely, a fantastic. Yeah. But after an hour and a half of running, I think I'd probably want maybe like an apricot fruit slice or something. You know, a bit more, <laughs> a bit more jazzy apple turnover, like a cinnamon, a cinnamon Do you know bun, what I mean? or something. Do you just, put jam with it, Rick? No, no, no. Just, just. Uh, I had, had a coffee. What, in what fairness, coffee but, do you uh, have? <laughs> just had a flat white just flat white Ooh. flat okay. white and a croissant it's pretty generic Rick I expected more 
No, no, you mean I'm, that's not. It's not particularly imaginative, is it? But that's that's what I wanted. You know what I mean that's what I wanted. Hey, you do you? Don't let yeah. anyone bring you down. <laughs> Especially me and Jane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was feeling alright about it until I came on this podcast. Suddenly, I'm some sort of everyone li- bakery boy. Everyone listening is probably like, "What? <laughs> that's what I get." That's anyway, tell us what what do you order after your long run? Are you a are you a flat white person? Are you an americano, a croissant, a cinnamon roll? Let us know. Podcast at runswell.co.uk. Oh, getting those hot, the hottest of all the takes that from our audience. Right, should we talk to our guest of the week? Let's do it. Let's do it. Guest of the week. Here in the studio. Guest of the week. Sometimes on the phone. Could be an athlete. Could be a physio. Or a complete running world was shaken recently by the tragic news that 21 people died while taking part in an ultramarathon in China. The mountainous 100km race took place in high winds and freezing temperatures and the runners are understood to have died from hypothermia. An investigation by the Chinese government is taking place with many people suggesting the tragedy was a result of human error as much as natural disaster. One UK runner who has raced in China more than most is James Paul. Having completed the Ultra Gobi despite suffering from hypothermia halfway through, James has some key insights into what's, what makes China an enticing, but also potentially hazardous destination for ultra runners. So James, welcome to the Runners World podcast. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be on board. What um, first sort of interested you in running in China? Well, I've, I've always been interested in running in other places that aren't my home place. So, I mean, I guess China is, is the kind of ex- most extreme version of that. I mean, it, even just to visit, ignore the running part of it, just to go there. Uh, a place that has been sort of cut off from the Western world for for so long is an, an interesting place just to go to Beijing or Shanghai or just the major uh, cities is in itself is exciting. But then obviously, if you combine that with with running and getting to see things that you you wouldn't do in a car or you wouldn't do in any other way, um, it's, it's, a, it's a real experience. I have to be honest. It, I mean, I, with what's happened going on in, in the tragedy, I hope it doesn't you know limit our ability to go there because it's an incredible place. Uh, to visit, to run, um, it's it's just yeah, it's one of my favourite places. I, as soon as I can get back, I will. So, so it hasn't put you off. This news hasn't put you off racing somewhere like China. No, absolutely not. And I, I think uh, I haven't. Obviously, the the, the circumstances are, are vague, and I suspect, given it's China, we'll never fully understand um, quite what happens because you have to understand the Chinese culture, and the Chinese culture is that you you know you never want to lose face. So the fact that this happened and it's suddenly in the spotlight internationally is a very bad thing for for those involved. And and obviously they will want to limit, they want to downplay that because it will be show losing face in the, on the international stage is, is very, is very poor show. Um, a piece that was published actually in Outside Online recently said that the, the, the tragedy wasn't surprising um, because health and safety of races in China is often lacking. Was has that was that your experience racing out there? Uh, no, absolutely not at all, actually. But it, but the, again, it's it's a cultural thing, and so I, the, the races that I've done, I did the UTMB Gaoligong by UTMB, so it was run on a very UTMB French uh, style. So if anything, it was almost t- too restrictive. Um, you know, as UTMB is run on very strict rules, you know, there's no there's no help outside of given points. If you're helped in the mountain somewhere by your friend, you potentially get disqualified. They took the, the rules of UTMB and applied it to China, which was kind of weird because there's a place where hadn't organized races, hadn't really 
employed a sort of Western way into a into a Chinese culture. So it was a bit tricky and the Chinese people were over the moon. All the aid station people were like thrilled that we were running in their, in their country and they wanted to help us as much as they could. And then they were getting told off that, you know, they, they weren't meant to hand us water or they weren't meant to fill our bottles up. We had to do it ourselves. It was it was it was very, very safe. I mean, Gallagher by UTMP couldn't couldn't fault it. Uh, the race in the Gobi Desert, by the nature of running 400 plus kilometers, is going to be in, in, there's an inherent risk. And in, when you sign up, you know that. And we had spot trackers and there was a control center, which I only saw after I finished, that had everyone's locations on a giant map. They would send vehicles out and check on people if they were deviating a long way from where they weren't meant to be. I, I mean, I've never felt more safe, to be honest, other than when I was obviously on my own in the middle of nowhere. But from an organizational standpoint, um, you know, I've been in races in Europe that have been, I felt have been way more dangerous. And have you, have you ever experienced hypothermia? Because from my very kind of limited background, hypothermia is hypothermia and you treat it the same way in England, in China, everywhere. But have you ever dealt with it? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I've had hypothermia in European races and uh, in, in, Go in the Gobi Desert, I got very severe hypothermia and they the medics, unbeknown to me, talked about um, evacuating me from the race because I was in big trouble. Everyone was in big trouble. It was minus 15 at night and the winds off the Tibetan plateau were making it colder still. But what you have to understand about China is it's not so much the organization, it's the culture. So with Gobi Desert, uh, we had uh, XR medics had been flown there from the UK. So we had a team of UK medics on hand to look after typically the Western athletes and the Chinese runners had Chinese medics. And what you have to understand is that in, in China, hypothermia isn't a thing or, or maybe it is, but it's not dealt with in the same way as it is here. Chinese athletes at Gobi were going out with their sleeping bags wrapped around there in, in the freezing cold because there's, there's lots of things, things like the, the way the wind blows and from what direction is, is not necessarily a bad thing. It could be a good thing or a bad thing, but it's more spiritual. And it could be that if it blows from the West, then it's bringing you bad luck. It's not, it's not, it's blowing from the West and it's coming off the Tibetan plateau. So it's going to drop temperature by 10 degrees. It's not thought of like that. And again, again, I don't want to speak for every single race and everything in China. But when I spoke to the medics after my race in Gobi, they were like somewhat horrified by the fact that they, the, the way that the Chinese medics were dealing with the Chinese athletes was was very different to that of the inter, of the European and international athletes who were there. So there is this sort of you know Chinese medicine type element to, that to comes into factor in, in some of the Chinese races, and it's not that they don't take it seriously. It's just a different thing, and I, I don't know how it can be. It's fairly scientific, yeah. right? <laughs> if your body temperature reaches a certain temperature, then you get in a lot of trouble. But that's not the way they see yeah. it. Me and Rick were talking about this um, in, the, in the context that perhaps a lot of races have been stifled is the wrong word, but overly controlled perhaps by health and safety, or certainly it's important to have that health and safety in place. Now, is it that there's more responsibility or onus on the individual at these races to just be responsible for themselves? But I don't feel like that can be the case because surely, or is it the case? I mean, it, this is... which. Just trying to work out whether or not there's this, this sense of it's your it's your fault if you take part and something goes wrong versus if you take part and something goes wrong then we've got you covered. Do you see what I mean? 
I think it's it's a, again it's race it's race by race. I mean, I did Western States in 2015. Western States doesn't have a mandatory kit list. You don't. And, and famously, Rob Craw, when he was uh, winning it, wouldn't take a head torch because he knew it was going to run 14 and a half hours, and he didn't, <laughs> and it wasn't going to be dark. So why carry something? So you know, at one one end you've got, and the Western States kind of ethos is if you've qualified and got yeah. here, then you're big enough and ugly enough to yeah, yeah. to look after yourself. And, and I support that, but it doesn't, you know, and but you can get to some of these things, these big races with a lot of exposure in a very easy way. I mean, you could do the Thames Path 100, which is a brilliant race for run by Centurion Running. And I know, you know, lots of people have done it. It's 100 miles along the Thames Path. I think it has 1,000 feet of vertical. It's held in beginning of May. It, it's pretty, you know, you're only ever five minutes from a road. It's pretty tame. You're not going to get yourself in any trouble. That qualifies you then to go and do western states which again isn't particularly extreme but it qualified to do let's say utmb where there are a lot of restrictions and i would argue is the most is one of the most races with the most control over competitors you, you can go there and do suddenly you've got ten thousand meters of climbing over 10 mountains with altitude and potentially poor weather and potentially very tricky underfoot conditions so you know or the distance is equal but everything else is completely different and i think it comes down to the individual to to sign up you know to sign up for these things and be be conscious of their own abilities but no one's going to do that i mean we all we all know everyone's got fomo everyone wants to <laughs> yeah. push themselves to do the, the hyperbole of the hardest the longest the furthest that that drives a lot of people to get involved in these things and i can, can't i get it but but so what do you do? People, people are always going to put themselves in, and I've done it myself, put myself in situations where I'm not sure I can finish this race or I'm not sure, you know, or, or I've t I mean, one of my bugbears is the, is the mandatory kit mm. list. Mandatory, not, not, not maximum. The problem is that people will take the, you know, it'll be inconvenient to carry a big bag over a hundred miles. So, you know, people cut the legs off things and, they, they take this tiniest head torch as a backup because it will save them a hundred grams. But that's how you get yourself in, in trouble because you know, your main head torch breaks and you're then suddenly you've got something that puts out 50 lumens and is the size of a 50 pence piece because you were trying. And I think the, the, the key one going back to sort of the Chinese thing is the down jacket. I mean, I, I still run the big hundred mile mountain races with a down jacket in my bag because I've been there when it's two o'clock in the morning and you're really tired and you've been going for you know 16 18 20 hours doesn't really matter you're mo not moving very fast because you're tired and you're perhaps not eating well you're freezing cold and that's when you get yourself in a lot of trouble because you're two and a half thousand meters up a mountain and there's no one around for, for you know another 5k which might take you two hours so it's just people you know need to enter into these things with with their eyes open and seek seek help ask you know, reach out to people who are out there who've done big races. Do it on Instagram. Do it on social media somewhere. Get some get some magazines. Get some books. There's tons of people who've done big adventures who I know would only be too happy to to part. You know, to give out, including me, to give out their their knowledge and make the you know make things safer and make things more enjoyable. I think one of the one of the criticisms you could level at this Chinese race in particular would be. The, the conditions were terrible James like they were really bad and they were bad at the start so it wasn't like uh oh we got kind of um blindsided by this storm like they, they were really bad at the bottom of the mountain um at that point 
the onus is on the race organizer, isn't it? Regardless of what country they're in, to to stop that race from happening. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I don't know, I, I don't fully understand the risk assessment kind of criteria for for China, and and I suspect it's a bit the, the wild west out there with a lot of this stuff. Uh, and I don't know. I, I, my opinion would be, yeah, if, if there's a risk to life, then you should stop it. I mean, at, at the end of the day, there's a few there's a few people there competing for for money and places, but you know, 99% of the people are doing it. It's a, it's fun, right? It's running. It's not, it's not world peace. It's not, uh, it's not, you know, it, it wasn't the Olympics. It was a, you know, a relatively small race with people were doing for enjoyment. So, you know, if a risk of enjoyment or you're going to die. seems like a pretty simple, <laughs> yeah. simple trade-off to me, you know, I mean, um, and, and I guess people put their faith in the, in the hands of the organizers in good, with good trust and, mm. But I think if it's if it starts badly, I mean, they quite famously, I think 2014, 2014 UTMB, where they mm. they made a bit of a balls up of it, to be honest, because they stopped and started and stopped and then they started to start and it was a shortened route. And and so but that, you know, that, that it's happened in the past. There are there are evidence. There's previous cases where people have you know stopped races for for bad weather. And I mean, and I've run a few where the, the course has been changed somewhere during the race or it's been stopped and it just you know it's the nature of the beast it, once you start to run in the the mountains into into the wilderness you have to be you know aware that maybe the race won't you won't get to the end of the race whether by your own ability or whether the race stops gets stopped by the organizers um do you think people underestimate the even just listening to you talk i'm a bit like oh god i wouldn't i wouldn't know what to do or what to pack do you think people underestimate the weather and the challenge yeah and 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 they do, you know. If you, you only need to go up to Snowdon or hike up to Snowdon or, yeah, mm. you know, any of the UK mountains, um, and you'll find someone in jeans and flip flops or something up there. And because they, because you can see the summit. And I think, to some extent, the big mountains. So let's, you know, the Alps, because it's covered in snow and because it's they're really high. People tend to be more prepared. You can often get in in more trouble. And I know the mountain rescue teams deal with a lot of people who, you know, Snowdon has a cafe on the top so you know how, how hard can it be so you go up there with your flip-flops and your and your jeans and then all of a sudden the weather closes in and you can't see a thing and you know you've got the wrong gear on i think in terms of ru- running it, people always every time i go out to chamonix there'll be somebody i know who's going for the first time and I, I, you know i i wouldn't stop people going but just you know better to be better to have the kit with you and not need it than the other way around and get yourself in, in a lot of trouble. But I think there's this element of sort of trying to game the thing, you know, trying to trying to have the bare minimum and all the time. And and people shouldn't be shouldn't be afraid of the mountains. They just have to be respectful of the situation. And I think we can, you know, r- runners. If you if you're a you know a road runner and you're doing you know five or ten k's, even a half marathon in the Alps is a very big undertaking. It's it might only sound you know, if you've done a road marathon, uh, it's the same distance. It's not the same conditions and it could take you, you know, three or four times as long. You know, you never know. I think if you can move in the mountains well, well and you, you're doing 5K an hour, you're probably, you're probably doing pretty good, which is quite a contrast to, to maybe doing a half marathon where might, someone might say, I'm doing 10K or plus an hour, you know, under two hour half marathon might take you three, four, five in the mountains. It's just understanding that it's a different terrain and you have to sort of recalibrate your your mind on, on what that might involve. 
but I know lots of people have been out uh, who've, who are not experienced and have an amazing time and they've opened their eyes to to traveling and to running in the in the mountains and I would never put anybody off be be planned more than you would normally and uh, be prepared This is Paige the co-host of Giggly Squad and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to $2 a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. It seems like there's a rise, James, in kind of more ex- the more extreme end of um, ultra running. We've seen things like the Barclay. Obviously, there's a kind of Netflix yeah. documentary about that and um, the Backyard Ultra. And these kind of events that are... They almost play on the fact they're a bit dangerous or a little bit kind of like say wild west uh, yeah absolutely i mean do you, does that does that worry you do you think like actually maybe an, an event in the western world could easily come sort of come unstuck by the same way 100 percent. i mean i've been in races where i finished i did a race in i won't, I won't name it because i don't want to give bad publicity particularly but um i did a race in uh in grand canaria there you go they pretty much yeah. nailed it down <laughs> But if I don't say it, it's a bit of a pointless story. So, um, but 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 if in the first year of their 360 degree race, which I perhaps naively thought was going to be uh, a run around all the most amazing trails of the island, and wasn't. It was like the dirt, the dirt tracks and goat trails of, and, cl- and scrambling around under on riverbeds and things on my hands and knees. Um, there was bits there when we had a tracker, but there was bits there where I was scrambling up these mountainous bits where I was grabbing hold of handfuls of brand of things to hand on. They were coming out of my hands and I was looking down thinking if I fall off here, you know, I'm dead and no one's going to find me for a day probably because my truck is not, it's not going to be moving, but how long, you know, people we were also sleeping out there because it was a, it was an unmarked, it was unmarked uh, self-sufficient race. So, you know, this is always risk. So you look at um, PTA or Petit Trot de Lyon, the UTMB race, which is three changes, or you look at uh, Tour de Gion. These are big, big distance races, and people are always going to 
the, the hyperbole. And I think it probably the hyperbole starts with MGS, which is, you know, yeah. notorious for being the hardest foot race. It isn't, but being the hardest foot race in the world. And so people sign up for MGS because it's the hardest foot race in the world. I mean, that's, that's the principal reason for doing it, I think. That yeah. You can then, yeah. you're bragging rights. And people are always going to, and certain types of people always want to do, you know, the hardest, the longest, the, the fastest, the, wait, no, whatever. I, it doesn't float my boat personally that that sort of hyperbole thing but i can see there's certain characters certain personalities that will want to to do that mm. and we're never gonna you know if there's a demand there'll be a, a supply right do, do you think that the tragedy uh, highlights need for change in in these races and how they're put together or is this just a you know sadly a very tragic but sort of not a one-off but kind of just you know the stars align for it to go really badly wrong yeah, and I, I think I think it's down to race directors and down to to, to to organize their races as they manage that risk as they they see fit. And I think it's down for individuals to prepare themselves in a way that limits that down the downside as much as they can. I think it's an inevitable. The more people, if you have an increase of people doing hyperbole races, toughest races, you're going to end up by the nature of it having more people potentially. At risk, you know, something's going to happen. And I think if you take, if you make them, tar, you know, if you just put them on tarmac, everything and create, then, you know, what's the, what's the point? Then there's no longer, they've lost all of their excitement, all of their luster. So, I mean, it's no one wants, and I never want, no one wants to see anybody injured or, you know, worse die on the, on the, doing something in the trail, in the trails, trail running. I mean, I don't have any comparison, but if you looked at climbing or, or canoeing, you know, paddling or some of the more extreme, you know, God knows, base jumping, all those things, you know, I suspect the fatalities are much higher, but people are, you know, accepting of it because it's always been the way. I'm not, I'm not saying we should accept it, but I think it's probably highlighted a, a one-off. Um, it'd probably be good for the overall industry for people to think, a bit more about how they put on races and whether you know the disappointment of a few hundred people is worth the is worth the risk and you know by cancelling it is that the better thing to do and disappoint people or is it put it on and potentially have the potential for things to go i mean you you, you can't make them you can make them less risky by managing the risks i think if you make if, if you make them zero risk you make it a 24-hour track run or something where and we only need to look at the Euros and see Christian Eriksen, you know, on something that where they're the most tested individuals on, on the planet, probably by doctors. And these things happen. And so, you know, it, it's a really, really sad thing. I think it probably as the, the number of races grows, will it won't be the last time. I hope it is, but I don't think it will be because people people put themselves at risk. I think that's it. I think it's just a, just a real reminder that, that these distances and these types of races are inherently dangerous. A hundred percent. And and that's the somewhat some of the excitement about them. If there was no danger, as I said, it'd be running around on a on a you know a, a rubber oval until you got bored. I mean, there's, there's degrees of, of you know of, of uh, extremeness, I guess. And people, I think, also should you know have some respect for the for the mountains and the mountains don't care whether you've been running along the Thames path or whether you're, you know, 
whether you're well whether you're well trained in the mountains and it'll it'll do what it'll do mother nature is bigger than than all of us and and we have to remember that you know a lot a lot of better runners than the people who are out there who part you know have got themselves in difficulties Killian Jornet you know is a great example of having to be rescued off of uh, Agui Demidi um, when running up there and getting in trouble so it happens to the to you know to the best runners in the world you just have to manage you know put take your own experience and put that in perspective can we talk about some of the positive experiences James you had of running in China because it sounds like you're kind of you're, you're you're passionate about the running there I think I think Asia as a whole is is a super exciting place and, and that's a very big statement because it's pretty massive but the the sort of um you know Thailand um the Southeast Asian countries, particularly China, Hong Kong, uh, are, are just a hotbed of exciting running. I mean, so exciting runners coming and you, we're starting to see them come to Europe. They, they train differently. They train, you know, in some of the most extreme and some of the most challenging terrain in the world. And, they, and they've sort of not been allowed to, to show their talent, but they're coming through. And I think we're going to start to see a much greater number of, of uh, Chinese and uh, Asian runners on the big stage. You know, Nepalese runners are coming through as well, and um, there's there's some really exciting talent. But but one of the things about running in Asia is it it hasn't didn't really exist as a pastime until relatively recently. And if you look in the UK, we have a long history of you know of running going back decades, and we have icons of of running, whether it be Roger Bannister or Ron Hill or you know, tons and tons of Seb Coe, you know, the runners track and and marathon runners over many many years, Paula Radcliffe. They just don't have that in Asia. Run, running was something you did if you were late, and you know it, it's it wasn't a it wasn't a pastime. And, and maybe this is uh, also a, you know um, a, as a result of a, a, a growing middle classes in a lot of Asian countries, particularly in China, where you know there's a lot more wealth coming through. Uh, the, the the population, I think, the middle class population of China by 2025 will be bigger than the whole population of Europe. So it's a lot of wealth growing wealth there's a lot of desire to be uh, for the trappings of the western world so if you go to Beijing or Shanghai you know the, the high streets are full of all the designer shops and that that's what the Chinese people want but because there's none of this history there's none of the hang-ups either there's none of this oh, oh am I a runner you know how, how far do I have to run to be a runner all the sort of nonsense that that we that often is happens in the in the UK in particular where you know people feel they have to achieve something before they they run or they have to wear a certain something or they, you know it, it, there's all that sort of preconceived uh, ideas there's none because 10 years ago everyone ran to because they missed the bus i've got a friend who lives in kunming who's italian and when she arrived there five or six years ago she was running along and taxis would pull up alongside her and go get in get in and she'd be like oh, i'm doing this <laughs> for fun <laughs> which is which is crazy but what it means is that um there isn't that you know everyone's buying i mean from from a commercial standpoint if you're a brand you've got to be there because no one owns a pair of trade no one's got the farnham 10k 2006 t-shirt that they're still running around you know in the park got a few years left in it no one's got any of that stuff so and everyone because perception is so valuable and what you look like is and the trend you know to follow a trend in china is so important the people are amazingly dressed. I loved it. I mean, like the, particularly the women, they'd be like head to toe in the same brand and it'd be like multicolored neon and they'd look amazing. I mean, they would, there'd be no like slightly dog eaten, yeah. you know, or 
hot tights with holes in or worn down trainers and and, and which I also love about the Brit, you know, the British culture is that you know you you always stand next to somebody who's got their number with three 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 pins and a you know something other a bit of chewing gum or something. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. that sort of. There's always somebody, isn't there, in a, in a in a race you stand there and you're like, maybe just you know buy some bit of kit in the last ten years, but it's all new and they take running like very seriously, but in a really fun way. When I did um, Gauligong, I, I watched the 50k race start. And it was a cross between uh, like a, a Barry's boot camp and, uh, and, a, and a nightclub and a rave and had fireworks and a theater. And this is the start of a 50K race. And they did like a, um, like a team, like a group, a thousand runners did like a da- dancing and jumping in the air and, and just fireworks are going off. And they're doing a sort of like keep fit class. And I'm thinking 50K, if we did that in the UK, people would be like, what the you know the, the 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 British sensibilities would be like no I'm not going to do that why would it but no they had they had you know fire breathers and things it was it was nuts and something really amazing about that to see people who were just so excited to get out and run I mean quite a long way in the mountains on the border of Myanmar and yeah and so I mean they have they have a race um, called Alice in Wonder Trail and. It's a women's only race, apart from if, if you want to, if you're a man and you want to be involved, you have to be a rabbit. And then the women chase the rabbit around the trails. I mean, and it's got like a manga themed character as this icon, which is this, you know, woman with, with sort of a Lara Croft with a sword type character. And it, it, it sells out and it's just in, insane. And it's, it's, got, it's taken like this sort of manga Japanese sort of feel to, to running. and and that's just like a couple of examples and they have a they have a they have a, a you know a, a international size race you know a 20 30,000 person race in in ton, in tens of cities across china that we've never even heard of it's it's massive i mean i don't think anyone had ever heard of wuhan until you know 18 months ago and then you find out it's a 10 million it's a 10 million person city and there's cities like that all across china and they've got big road races and they've got growing running cultures and and it, it's kind of ground zero and that's sort of so when you go there and you sort of have a perspective of your own running culture it's it's amazing it's just to see the, the difference and you see where that could go when without hang-ups of whether you're a runner or not and or whether it, no one goes if you run like that it's going to hurt your knees you know no one in china says that because they don't have that 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 sort of culture and you know all those sorts of things that perhaps make running in the UK sort of a bit of a quirky thing and and maybe put people off doesn't exist because it's too new and you know it's probably less because it doesn't have the culture in certain in many regards and I think you know the brilliant thing about British running and you know is is that we have this rich culture of people who've done amazing things and merging personalities but it's kind of different and that's kind of the attraction i guess so i don't know i don't know what's, i don't know how easy it's going to be it's, it's never easy to go to china anyway but i suspect we're going to see some of these races um put on hold for a while until they work out what exactly happened. i mean i was meant to do gobi in the following year in 2019 and two days before i was meant to fly i was told i wasn't allowed into the area that we were running because i was a western runner so you know it 
China is, is is it's it's unpredictable at the best of times, and so. But you know, I think the big city marathons will continue. So that's maybe if people want to go to China and run, you know, get get in the get in Beijing, get in get entries into Beijing or or um, Shanghai is the is the big one. It sells out very fast. It's meant to be stunning as, as a run. But it's a it's a cool. The whole of the Asian continent has got lots of exciting stuff going on, and it's going to become. Well, some of it's going to become more accessible, I think, in, as we get out of COVID and as you know, the desire, there's a, there's a great desire out there to, for, for Chinese races in particular to have Westerners. It, it makes, it, it's all about the perception. Are there any, um, have you got any dream races out there that you want to do? Well, I, I, there's, a, there's a brilliant race that no one knows about. Uh-oh. Um, well, until now, <laughs> uh, this is my, this is my plug. No, I mean, I'm it's called the Hong Kong Four Trails ultra challenge and it's run by um a guy called andre bloomberg and it's super under the radar it's uh it's all of the hong kong the trails in hong kong run in the opposite direction to the way they naturally run in six the idea is to do it in 60 hours it's unsupported um it's 300 kilometers it's not so i tried to do it in uh 20 that's your kind of race change today he's never he was never going to say yeah. a 5k was he <laughs> no <laughs> But I, I, I get in this sort of hyperbole, so I'm fully, you know, I, I can't criticise people because it's it's this crazy race, and you at the end, if you get there within 60 hours, you kiss this traditional um, post box that's painted turquoise blue, and that's the kind of signal of the finish. And it's an insane race, and I went and gave it a shot, and it's in February, and the humidity is like low for for Hong Kong, but for for, for West for people down from Europe, it was just a disaster. I was so I was sweating through after five kilometers and at like 120 kilometers, I was like, that nah, I'm done. And uh, it made, I was pretty, pretty disappointed with myself. But I don't know how you I don't know how you condition yourself for the humidity in coming from a every I think I was the only I was the only person from Europe that didn't live. There were some Europeans, but they all lived in Thailand or Hong Kong or, or one of the Asian countries surrounding it. And they were kind of used to it. So that's my excuse. You know, it was it was. But it, but there's there's tons of there's tons of stuff out there. I mean the UTMB races that are out there now, the Panda Trail. I mean Kate's got Kate Carter's name written all over it, surely. Um, and that that I don't think I don't know if that'll happen now because of the changes. But that's in a panda sanctuary. I mean, that's, that's how good is, how good is that? I like that you in that previous race you said um, you kiss a you kiss the post box because that kind of almost that sort of. That almost sounds like touching the wall of a pub, like on the on a on a famous round, or do you know what I mean? It's got like it's got elements of that to it. And I think all those those races that are like iconic have those things, like you know a Bob Graham round, or um, if you look at uh, Hard Rock, right? You kiss the the rock at the end. Um, Spartathlon, you know, after you've run two hundred and forty six kilometers, you kiss the foot of Leonidas. I feel like those sort of challenges have that special thing about them, the special source. That makes them really, really amazing, and they don't tend to be about winning. You know, they tend to be about complete. You know, obviously, there's always a winner at Hard Rock and a winner at Western States, but but most people are just trying to get the thing, the damn thing done. Especially when it's super long, like like that, and you just, you know, it's an achievement to get to the start line, and it's achievement to definitely achievement to get to the finish, whether you're first or last. And that for me, that's the, you know, I think that's the. I love those races that have this sort of backstory to them and have more than I do that just, you know, get to point A to point B in the fastest time. So, you know, it's about the, the story and about 
because I think people are, I include myself in this, are more interesting than the time it takes them to go from one place to another. It's not as ex as interesting as how they, you know, the journey to get to the start line and then the journey they take to get from point A to point B. But we, but you know, as a whole, I think in road running in particular, you know, we're very focused on how many times have you run a marathon and how fast have you done it, rather than you know the the, the qualitative things that are so are so much more interesting about people than you know their PBs. That's that's my opinion, but I get it. You know, I'll probably make make myself very unpopular by saying things like that. But you know, I, if, counting the number of marathons I've done is is not the most interesting thing about me, to be honest. And I can't think too many sports where where you actually where the, the frequency of doing something is a reflection on you know. No one goes, oh, I've played seventy three rounds of golf. I mean, they 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 do go. I've got a handicap of X, but but you know, mountain biking. No one goes, I've done. 27 mountain bikes races or something no one cares it's about like and the enjoyment of the thing but we seem to in the in you know in running seem to and i include you know include myself in this i'm not guilty of, i'm just guilty of of that as well of, of comparing ourselves you know of, of using it to directly compare ourselves to somebody else when the, the beauty is in the the doing and the journey the being the stories rather than the, the finish line agreed james thanks so much for uh, for coming on the Runners World Podcast. Great to talk to you about um, running in, in China and Asia. And uh, yeah, wish you all the best of luck with the next challenge. Thanks, guys. You, you too. Love, love the podcast. Keep up the good work. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World Podcast. Thanks very much to our guest, James Paul, and to you, of course, for listening. You can, of course, subscribe to Runners World Magazine and get 12 issues throughout the year to supplement your running journey. But if you want a little taster, you can subscribe to just three issues of Runners World for £5. Head over to hearstmagazines.co.uk slash Podcast to get this exclusive listener offer. You can listen to the Runners World podcast on Acast, iTunes and all your favourite podcast apps. Just search Runners World UK and click subscribe. And please do subscribe because it makes us really happy. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, 
you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.